<laughs> I saved all my enthusiasm for that prior intro, and I'm going to do it all again. Good evening and welcome to this one's episode of Elite Rugby Banter. Um, it's a very exciting time. Test windows are around the corner about to open up domestic rugby, apart from the MLR, has completely wrapped up. Um, and here to discuss it is, as usual, um, Andrew and Phil. Andrew, how's it going? Very well, thanks. A whole lot better than the last episode. Apologies to everyone for my uh, sick note that I had to hand in and my non-appearance on the last episode, but it's great to be back. Uh, lots of exciting things around the corner. Uh, lots to lots to talk about. It's good to be back with you, gents. Yeah, and Phil, how's that place to your side? Yeah, I'm excited. We've got a, a Springbok match this weekend. We've got New Zealand playing Argentina as well. And um, yeah, actually yesterday I booked some tickets, so I'm going to France in September just hey. for a quick, a quick break. Uh, go watch a couple of Springbok matches. Um, yeah, it should be good. Looking forward to it. Glad to know that the pod's Patreon is still going very strong and can fund you. Um, I don't, didn't remember seeing the entry form where we could uh, apply to to get the fund, benefit from those funds. Obviously, you're keeping that link to yourself, but at least one of us will be on the ground to cover the, the events. Um, but yeah, we do, as, as Phil said, have a lot going on, a lot to cover. Um, and I think maybe the first thing is to say, I think we'll be shifting from the monthly format to the more regular weekly format um, in, in maybe slightly shorter doses now that we're back in the test window. Um, so that's quite exciting. You get to hear more of our voices more often. Um, but we can dive straight into it. The first topic of the agenda, which is uh, very uh, appropriate at the moment, considering it's happening down the road from Phil and I, is the Under-20 World Cup. Um, today's the last round of the group stages, and there's been some very interesting results all around. Um, it's been a, quite an unusual under-20s tournament in terms of results. What do you gents, have you made of it so far? Well, I, I think there's a level of excitement seeing that it's the first tournament since before COVID hit, right? So we've had a few years. I think it's three years without a tournament. So it, we spoke, I think we previously spoken almost about like a missing generation for a whole group of players who just didn't get this tournament. So getting back into the swing of things is, um, Pretty important, but unfortunately, as uh, I was just saying to Andy off air, this seems like not the strongest uh, Springbok vintage that we've seen. And I think a big part of that is down to um, a lack of forward strength, mostly. Um, but in terms of the tournament, as you say, the group stage is just wrapping up and it's mostly been dominated by Northern Hemisphere teams. And I think that also speaks to them having played a Six Nations tournament earlier in the year and just looking more or better prepared and also just having a little bit more, um, I don't know, better game management and weather's been poor, which maybe also benefits them. Um, so it's been pretty disappointing generally from a Southern Hemisphere perspective. Yeah, I mean, the Springboks particularly lost uh, quite quite emphatically, to be honest, to, to uh, Italy on Saturday. Um, they're currently being dominated by Argentina, which is not, not good. Um, 
Georgia beat Argentina, uh, Italy today. They're opening up a small glimmer of hope for us. But yeah, as Phil said, our, our forwards just haven't come to the party, and that's really been our, our weak point, um, <clears throat> which is surprising considering that's always been our, our under 20 strength. You know, we could always rely on our big bruising forwards to just get us across the line. And so I wonder if these couple of players missing a lot of competitive rugby in their you know, under 15s, under 16s years during COVID. Um, maybe, no, would that have been first team? But anyway, some of their, their more senior high school rugby they're missing out on, and maybe that's leading to some of these poor results. But it's, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but it's, yeah, it's not just us. Um, New Zealand and Australia have also been on the receiving end of some, some bad calls, I mean, bad results. So New Zealand yep. getting hammered by France the other day, um, and Australia going down to England this afternoon. So it's all around not being pretty for the Southern Hemisphere. And I think the point around more regular competition. I mean, we didn't, as South Africa, didn't even play any warming up games for this competition, whereas the, the, the Six Nations side had a full tournament to practice. Um, so, Phil, do you think that that might be an... I mean, Andrew, you looked like you were going to say something, sorry? No, I was going to say that's exactly what the, the coach, Bafana and Tleko, had said, is that the team just lacked time together and, and match, you know, time, time actually in matches playing, which the Northern Hemisphere has had and we haven't. I don't know if I buy the COVID argument. Um, I mean, all the teams had to suffer through a similar thing. Um, South Africa, New Zealand, and Australia certainly had stronger lockdown restrictions than a lot of other countries, but everyone had those sort of lost years. Uh, so I don't think that can be used as a, a major excuse, but definitely the time together playing seems to be playing out on the field. Like we, we've still clearly got talented rugby players, but they're not executing as a team, right? That game plan's not coming through. Uh, there's there's no cohesion in the systems, etc. And that's that's leading to these poor results. So individual brilliance is not able to carry the team at this level. Uh, so lots of lessons to be learned and uh, we'll we'll let the Northern Hemisphere claim dominance for now before the World Cup rolls around and, and then they get put in their place again. Yeah. I think, um, and one of the other things that we shared before the tournament started, which also benefits the Northern Hemisphere teams, particularly France and to some extent England, is the level that some of their players have already been experienced to. So playing in the top 14 and playing in the English Premiership or whatever it's called, whereas there are very few of our players who have even played Perry Cup, let alone sort of the URC level or European rugby. So that also makes a bit of a difference, but at the same time, that's generally been the case in other years where the SA under 20 has still performed pretty well. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's a, a shift of power. Some people have been speaking about, you know, the general shift away from Southern hemisphere dominance. It's far too early to make those sort of bold claims. Um, but seeing, like you said, seeing New Zealand get smashed by France is pretty crazy to see just because New Zealand at all levels are usually so competitive. Yeah, even just on talent alone, they're normally <clears throat> able to put together a pretty strong team. And I suppose maybe that's one of the, the points to be optimistic about is that individually, we've had some pretty strong performances. You know, there are certain players that are really standing up and, and showing um, that, they, that they could make the step up to the higher level. Um, so, yeah, whether it's a systems issue, um, although Pafana Shalek was a, a good coach, so I wouldn't imagine it's that. But it's probably just, as you said, that, that lack of combinations and, and actual match practice. Um but, you know, you can see the boys when they do put it together, they can jaw. So hopefully that means, you know, in the next year or two, they can, can feed through to the seniors and, and bring the, um, 
for rugby. The, but speaking, yeah, go. I think, I think the the chirp of the week for me was um, someone tweeted that the the junior the junior box are having a terrible year, and the the Scottish rugby union is very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. Um, I see though one of the junior boxes has already been signed to a French club um, on go. the back of this week. Um, so yeah, that that poaching will probably start happening soon. Um, but Andrew, you you interrupted my segue. That's fine. I'm just going to shoot one of them anyway. Speaking of um, well, the World Cup. I'm looking forward to it. The the first kind of taste of what we can get excited for did start coming out in the last couple of days. With all the teams releasing their jerseys, um, so I think we'll touch on this very quickly, just because there have been, you know, jerseys are always somewhat controversial. You know, they're very people place them on a pedestal of pride with regards to the national teams, and you know, generally it's a pretty simple recipe: get the color right, don't do anything too bizarre, and you know, your people should be pretty happy. So, you know, we can start with the Springbok jersey, which was long overdue and came out today, and I think has been pretty widely accepted um they didn't do anything too off the wall they had a couple of risky attempts uh, some of which landed some of them didn't but you know they were they were small enough that either way they weren't going to be um too detrimental to the overall feel of the jersey you know so some really nice touches is that stronger together in the inside of the collar the uh, like rainbow pattern inlays on the seams um are all really nice and then you know there's the weird football vertical stripes that kind of included, which, you know, are subtle but are a bit odd. And then Andy's favorite nipple tape, tassels. Um, <laughs> so so what would you guys rate, rate the jerseys out of 10 on the scale? Um, I'll go first, sure. Uh, I, yeah, I think the home one, I am pretty much in agreement with, I think, on one of our groups where we are talking about it, I'd like to give it about an 8 out of 10. And that's mostly driven by the color, getting nailing the colors, both the sort of gold color and trims on the on the um, sleeves uh, together with the green. It's the proper green, which is hard to get wrong. But if they did get it wrong, it would probably ruin the whole jersey if it was just a different shade or the wrong shade. Um, and I think some of the little things are gimmicky, like like you were saying, the nipple, whatever we're calling those weird dots. Um, but they're subtle enough that they don't detract from the whole finished product, I hope, at least from the pictures that we've seen so far. So I think the home one gets an eight for me. The away one is a bit out there. It's um, very, I would say, unspringbok-like. Um, feels more like they're pushing into a bolder sort of market, which I don't imagine would go down well with a lot of South African supporters. But um, yeah, it's something different and I'm okay with it, but I'm not, not a massive fan. So maybe like a six. Yeah, I think the I'm a, I'm a big advocate of the, the, the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. When it comes to jerseys, like less is more. Um, you don't need to get too intricate and too artsy-fartsy with these kinds of things. They're literally just a jersey to play rugby match in. Uh, nail, nail the colors, get a little bit of the styling right. Like that, like you said, that little like uh, um, South African flag slash rainbow insert on the collar. Uh, really, really nice. Little subtle things. I don't like the big changes. Um, so decent on the, on the main jersey. Uh, in in contrast to the Kiwis, uh, the All Blacks jersey, which just like goes to town on those little fine designs and, and looks like, I don't know, they gave it to like a 12-year-old to come up with the, 
the little silver patterning. And they're trying to undersell it with all these low light photo shoots with Taylor Clark and uh, trying to, yeah, <laughs> get people, I don't know, ease them into this or something. Um, but it really is a bit of a travesty. Like, like Ben, one of the pod OGs says, like, how do you fuck up a black jersey? <laughs> but they've managed to somehow. Um, generally, it seems like it's not just us that hate it. The, the Kiwis themselves also are not, not big fans of this jersey. So there's a whole range for this World Cup. I mean, that's definitely been the most backlash I've ever seen to a jersey globally. Um, I think the entire world has said it's horrific, is that All Blacks jersey. Um, for those that haven't seen it, it's, I suppose the jersey itself was kind of okay. I mean, the cut's a bit odd and the fabric's a bit odd, but they've then gone and drawn ferns all over it in like a weird kind of, as you say, six-year-old's like glue pen. Um, but it's not like the kiwi fern. It's just like random ovals stuck to a stick. Um, it's, it's very, very strange. And the problem is it's not just the mash jersey. It's the training kit. It's the hoodies. It's the golf shirts. It all just looks yeah, pretty, pretty awful, to be honest. But it's also like the all-black jersey is something maybe over-hyping it a bit, but it used to be like something a bit sacred about keeping it as all-black mm. as possible. The first time that they went and used a sponsor, like the main sponsor on the front, I think it was one of those investment firms. Like there was a big backlash to that because it was the first time it wasn't just, you know, pure black. And now they're moving further and further away from that. So I think that's also part of the backlash other than the like you guys said, the childish ferns. I mean, ferns are bad enough, just like all over, but the ferns themselves just look, <sighs> I don't know. There's almost no words to describe how bad they are. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just very poorly done. I mean, I think some, just some shout outs to some of the better jerseys out there. I mean, the, the Portuguese and Uruguayan jersey have been getting some, some pretty good reviews. Um, I like the Aussie jersey. It's also you know, pretty classic, pretty simple. Yeah. I heard today that the... Asics, who the jersey supplier, actually did like a public survey on what the correct yellow is for the World Warrior jersey, and they've now labeled it, um, and they can now use that. Um, so, again, you know, that's just a good insight from the manufacturer to be like, what do the people want? Let's go do that. Keep it simple. Um, you, but so, you say yeah. yellow, yellow, not gold, right? Oh, no, it's, 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 it is, it is yellow. <laughs> just just <laughs> check it. Just, just, just be, be correct on that. Um, yeah, and then on the other side, you've got the Irish jersey, which was just, you know, kind of randomly some dude in jeans was taking a photo of, and that's how they leaked the jersey. <laughs> um, and it just, I mean, it just looks like a slightly washed out Irish jersey. There's nothing nothing to be commented on there at all. I just don't think the color's right for that, too. It looks a little too light for me, but I could be wrong in terms of the traditional Irish. But in my mind, it looks a little bit too Right, I don't know. It's a little, it's, yeah, little lime, lime color. Yeah. Right. yeah so. it's what I've never liked about the Irish green is it's it's quite a weak color. It's quite a weak green. As you know, ours is a very strong bold. Like it just looks a bit <laughs> washed out. And you know, so that's why I wasn't the biggest fan of our 2019 World Cup jersey because it was it wasn't there was that like weakish green. Um, but then again, maybe I shouldn't be lecturing on colors as a colorblind person, but you know, we're all <laughs> entitled to our opinions. What I am excited to see, though, is what the English do, because they often come out with some bizarre takes for World Cups. Um, do you have any, any speculations of whether they're going to be playing in a, a literal rows mm-hmm. or have <laughs> coming out of the shoulders or something? 
trying to remember what they did for the last World Cup. I mean, I should remember saying that they made it all the way to the final. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that again, England, similar to the All Blacks, it should be pretty hard to get wrong, you know, mostly white with a bit of red trimming somewhere. But so the more they deviate away from that, to be honest, the more they're going to get it wrong. So we'll see how crazy they try to get it going. I, I reckon uh, full frontal of the new King Charles, right on the, right on the, on, on the beam. <laughs> That's or, or, or may, maybe what will happen is, you know, like we have all of our family and friends' faces in the number on the back. They're just going to have just King Charles's face just a thousand times in the numbers. <laughs> I mean... I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too surprised, but I don't think anything would really shock me about the, the English jerseys. Um, should we should we give a quick um, note out to the Argentinian jersey? Um, the the main the main kit is great. I mean, true to true to the classic Argentinian jersey with a nice collar, the blue and white you know, hoops, and then the alternative kit. Uh, I, I'm not, it might be a, a bit of a hot take and unpopular opinion, but I quite like I quite like that um, sort of military style thing like they've got a bit of a sash across the chest uh, it is a bit football-y but I, I think it's quite striking but um, I, I know there are some dissenters yeah I think it looks good I think the more like you say the traditionalists will probably like it less but um, I, I, I think one of the trends is that across all the countries the rugby jerseys as they move away from that most traditional you know, the classic, classic whites, they end up looking a little bit more like football jerseys. And I think that's a good one. It's like a good example um, of them getting it right. It's something which has some historic um, country significance in terms of that army um, background. And it looks good. So when they wear it against whoever they wear it against, I'm sure it will uh, be memorable. Yeah, I do like it. Now, my worry is that um, if they end up playing in it, you can imagine how fired up they're going to get, you know, wearing literal army uniforms. Um, Especially if they wear it against Mark, England. Yeah, it could, it could Marcus be against Marcus Kramer might actually kill somebody. Um, as, yeah, as, as yeah. you said, you know, if, if, they play, if they play England and they beat them in a military uniform, does that mean they reclaim the Falklands? Like... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I did hear a fun thing today that the French jersey is dark enough that it forces the New Zealanders to play in white for their uh, pool game. Do you think that was deliberate? I'm a hundred percent sure that was deliberate. Everything the French do is deliberate, <laughs> just to like get under the skins of all their opposition. So I'm very sure about that. Um, but quickly using that as a segue of of the Northern Hemisphere teams doing shitty things um, to piss Southern Hemisphere people off. Um, although maybe maybe that's a bit unfair because we're probably uh, at fault here, but I'm very sure it was the Northern Hemisphere's team idea. But the World League or League of Nations or Nations Cup, whatever it's going to end up being called, some more details were announced this weekend. Um, it sounds like the, the Six Nations and the Rugby Championship teams have kind of combined to take the whole global season conversation away from World Rugby and Ring Fed. It's a competition, competition for just themselves. Um, there's obviously the six six nations team, the four rugby championship teams, and apparently two like guest slots uh, that will be in full, probably by Japan and Fiji. Let's be honest. Um, although there are rumours that the United States might take one of those slots, um, 
But the key thing is that there's no promotion relegation, and this will be happening in every in the two odd years between Rugby World Cups and Lions Tours. So essentially, you're just going to be having the circle jerk of all the top teams playing each other, and the tier two nations are never going to get a look in um, because there's no promotion relegation. And it, uh, another comment I heard today that I think quite drives it home for me is that one of the things that I've liked that I like about rugby is that every test match is really meaningful. And there's no such thing as a friendly. You know, you're doing a three-match tour. You're playing an end-of-season um, match. Like, the result is always important. Whereas now, if it's not a World Cup game and it's not a, oh, my God, our under-20s just scored the most insane world you ever try. Um, so this is proving <laughs> that our score? boys can cook. What uh, is the score? If they give it, uh, the guy basically just passed himself over the try line. If they give the try, it'll be 15, 16 with conversion to come. So we could go into the lead, but we obviously still need two more tries to, to get the bonus point to top our pool. Um, but still 25 minutes to play. Back to the Nations Cup. Um, it means that if you're playing games outside of that League of Nations format, then those really are just friendlies and they're going to be completely irrelevant. Like there'll be no meaning to those whatsoever. And I don't quite like that. So what are your guys' thoughts on the whole situation? So the matches which would be outside of that format would just would only be matches in the years. So, like you said, it's every two years. So I'm just trying to think how it works. In, in, in my mind, to be honest, and maybe this is a bit of a different take, it, it doesn't actually change that much to what's going on now. How often do we see tier two teams? So we do see a little bit. So it does obviously ring fence it completely, and that sucks for the tier two teams. But I think 80% of the games are, you know, South Africa are going to go play Italy, France, Wales in their, in their tour um, up north anyway. So it creates a tournament and it creates that structure and it means the ring fencing is there. So there isn't a chance to play one of the small teams. But it's not as massive a difference as what's happening now. And that's because the tier two teams are currently in the current format aren't getting enough love and respect. Um, which they're supposed to be getting going forward. So that's the worst thing about this is that it's not progressive at all. And going forward, you want something to be more progressive to allow smaller teams and to allow the growth of the sport, not just to have this sort of elitism of the 10 teams or, um, yeah, 10, 12, 12, 12 teams in the sense with the two invited teams, um, consolidating their power and wealth. And ultimately, this is all about the finances, I think. Andrew? Yeah, I tend to agree with you there, Phil. Um, it's going to create some some really cool rugby, and I'm sure once you know it inevitably starts, there's no way to stop it now. Uh, we're going to enjoy it and buy into it, and it'll be fun and whatever. Um, we'll lose some of the sort of three match tour type things, which is a bit of a sad sad outcome. You know, it's always nice to have that that progression through through a multi match tour. And having the teams, you know, tinker and then come up against each other and try and re-strategize. Like, we're going to lose that a little bit, apart from the Lions tours in the intervening years. Um, but then again, that's only one country per, you know, per few years. So, uh, from a Tier 2 perspective, like, I mean, it is pretty devastating. You've got to feel pretty sour if you, the likes of Georgia or Uruguay or Chile or Romania or whoever... Um, you, or Tonga you know, and Samoa just received 30 All Blacks each. Well, yeah, there we go. So, you know, all those teams are getting a bit shocked. They're probably going to play against each other in the intervening years. And you'd hope that there would be 
matches, you know, during the Lions year when this international league is not taking place, you'd hope that their matches arranged against the tier two sides and it's maybe a chance for those tier one nations to blood new people and experiment a little bit, but I, I just don't know if it's going to play out that way. That remains to be seen. Yeah. And there is, I think, a valid argument saying that this devalues the World Cup a bit. I mean, the World yeah. Cup will always be the World Cup will always be the World Cup, but you know, it, it takes away the chance for that development between World Cups for the smaller teams to create upsets at you know of the top twelve teams in the world. Which means that World Cups will become more formulaic. Like the teams that we expect to go through will probably go through. Um, you know, the likes of Japan coming from nowhere and beating South Africa, and now being uh, a respected, you know, really good international side, are uh, it's going to be just a whole lot harder for those stories to emerge. Um, so that is a loss to world rugby. I feel like it might, you know, solidify the finances, but it is a loss to world rugby in terms of. Growing the game, you know, we were talking about growing the game. This is this is very much anti that. Yeah, I think that it speaks to Phil's comment about like, yeah, cool, it's not that different, much much different to now. But you know, the point is, is that we're trying to grow the game and get the game to a better place. And here's a perfect opportunity to involve play other teams, get more cross um, tier matches by including them. And we just that that that's just being consciously chosen not to to be done, um, which is yeah, quite frustrating. Um, there's obviously a lot of a little bit of speculation that this is Wales's and Scotland's agenda to try and make sure that they can stay in the top flight, um, particularly given uh, Wales's current struggles, but also Scotland potentially acknowledging that you know they they once in the generational talents that they had at the moment they're yeah. not gonna stick around I mean, for too long. Um, it's just yeah, just on like if you look at the under twenty results at the moment, Scotland aren't even in the major tournament because they did so poorly last time, and Georgia might still qualify for the top four, but they've you know, won two games in their group. So they're showing that they their talent is really coming through. And Italy are improving in the six under twenty six nations all the time. But Georgia are really showing that they're you know, right now they're better than the Scottish youth team based on just being in the tournament. So maybe that's a bit harsh. But yeah, uh it's um Georgia are probably the ones who people will point to and say are being most screwed by this, especially given oh, that they've, they've got they've two big results. Been, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it you know, Wales in the last year. When when the Six Nations started, right? Um, the the five the five main nations, you know, France and the four home nations, it was a obvious choice. But the Sixth Nation was heavily debated. Italy ended up getting it, but there was a lot of people that thought that Romania were actually the stronger side at the time. But Italy has obviously benefited from having that development opportunity being in the Six Nations. I mean, they wouldn't spoon, you know, nine out of ten times. But they're getting to the point where, you know, that they are benefiting from that development. We're seeing some really good players and some really good games and some close encounters, even if Italy don't end up winning most of the time. But um, it just shows you the likes of Romania or Georgia, if they had inclusion at that level, even if they struggled for a bit, they would have the development opportunities, the financial uh, means to, you know, grow the game, as we keep saying. Um, and that, that feels like the same for the likes of Tonga, Samoa, you know, all these other countries that are now being waylaid by this new structure. It's an interesting one. I mean, I think that Samoa, Fiji and Tonga are probably the, they are the outliers in that every other country is developing their talent internally and they're just taking develop talent from 
and they always have, you know, the whole argument that uh, the Kiwis are playing with 20 Islands is like, no, the Islanders are playing with 20 born and raised ki- Kiwis. Like it's harsh on Fiji, but yeah, like Tonga and Fiji, Fiji are, are less reliant on on Australia and New Zealand to generate the talent for sure. I mean, particularly now that the Drua are an established side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the Tonga and Samoa, you know, they don't they don't generate their own talent. Whereas you know, Fiji, uh, Chile, Uruguay, Romania, you know, they've got quite strong domestic leagues and they're really putting a lot of effort into trying to create their own talents and you know that's kind of where's who they're going to play with these guys um, but I don't think we need to hop on this too much longer because I think we can finally get into the meat and potatoes of this episode um, which is the rugby championship kicking off this weekend uh, Springboks released their lineup today um, as is the case not too much in terms of surprises the lineup was pretty much leaked and I think most people kind of speculated on it for a while you know, we knew there was going to be some kind of splitting in the squads, and it seems that they're playing the B team this weekend. Um, I use the word seems because I think the, the line between first and second choice is a lot closer than it was when we did this uh, before the 2019 World Cup. Um, but, yeah, what, what, what do you make of the team that was released today, guys? Um, it feels like there's a lot of really great individual rugby players into a team that doesn't have a lot of tried and tested combinations so you know you have a former RB player of the year um, in Peter Steph de Toy who, who hasn't quite reached the same levels for a while now and then you have um, Am in the midfield who's vice captaining and is obviously the world's best outside centre and France Malherbe the world's best prop and Villiers Roux at the back who's a stalwart and um, international best, best. Uh, well, I wasn't, I wasn't, gonna, <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but okay, Phil. Um, but in between, there's a lot of promise, uh, but unproven promise, like a lot of potential. But it's yet to be seen how that will play out. I think it's exciting the team that's been put out. Uh, Reinach and and Libok at um, uh, the halfback pairing. That's like could be absolutely fire. We'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, Este hasn't been playing incredible rugby over in the UK for a while now. Um, and we have a lot of talent uh, out wide as well in the back line. Like, the back line is very exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but the very much the A team or the spine of the A team has been sent overseas uh, to hopefully get a win against the All Blacks. So it does feel like they are hedging their bets a little bit, um, hoping that Australia aren't quite up to it. Um, they're playing at Loftus. I don't think South Africa have lost to Australia at Loftus in no, at least since never. like returning from... They've never lost there. Never never lost to Australia at, at Loftus. They're and, out of seven, yeah. And, and someone had said that that was where um, uh, old Eddie lost whatever it was, 92-3 with the Reds versus the Bulls. So for him, it's a bit true. Personal. So, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting, an interesting fixture, um, a lot of potential, but I'm a little bit nervous because I, I think Oz, I, I just don't want to underestimate Oz. Um, I think they're going to send a strong team and they're going to front up and we're going to, we're going to have to still play a very good game to get a win uh, with the players that are missing. I just want to quickly, before Phil responds, I think your comment about combinations is maybe not totally fair. I mean, that front row has played together a lot. 
the center pairing, they played together with the Sharks a bunch. Um, those wings both play for the Bulls, so they're familiar. I think, you know, Peter Steph and Dwayne have played together, and they know Michael Finstad, and he's been in and out the box once forever. Um, you know, so I think the, the key missing combination is obviously 9 and 10, but, you know, the, Marnie's got an experienced 12 outside him and a very experienced and, uh, scrum up inside him. I think the, the key combination that's going to be tested is, is the locks. You know, you've got Marvin Orrie, who's not the most experienced and not the most capable, partnered with a, with a Springbok debut, Jean Klein, um, even if he's got a handful of tests for the Irish. Yeah. Um, and just, sorry, before we, before we let Paul have a say, there is Athus Neyman coming off the bench who plays at Munster with John Klein. So that is a nice combo potentially in the second half. Yeah, and um, I think he he's such a good impact player that it's it's never surprising to see him on the bench. But hopefully with more game time, we'll you know, get a chance to just see more of him because I think every Springbok fan, probably every rugby fan in the world, given how exciting of a player Sneyman is, um, is yeah. Hopefully we'll we'll see more and more of him as we get closer and closer to the World Cup because he could, if he plays well, he could get into the starting lineup. But um, yeah, I think um, Australia are going to send their strongest team. I'm pretty sure. But I would still say, despite as Ant said, uh, this is pretty much a B team that you know the Springboks are our favourites and they should have. Um, yeah, they. You, <laughs> They should have the favorite status, and if they don't win, it's going to be a disappointment, despite sending 14 players or however many it is through to New Zealand. So this is a strong enough team to beat Australia at home at a stadium where Australia have never won before, as you guys were saying. Um, with those two players, Peter Steff and Lucanya, and probably the um, outliers in terms of the ones you would expect to be starting if it was a first-choice team being named. I think... Um, the interesting thing here for me is so Marco van Sarden is obviously starting as the open side and we have Dion Free on the bench who's the sort of other option in the squad. So we've sent Quacha over, I guess. I think we mentioned last year in the internationals that Quacha has been used as an eighth man more often than not for the Springboks. So it's going to be really interesting to see what sort of loose trio plays against the All Blacks, seeing that we've sent over um, Jean-Luc Dupre, Quacha, and Franco Mustard, who obviously is more of a utility uh, forward. And then also Jasper Vies is going a little bit later. So having sort of both of our fetcher options here, also maybe Quaha is included in that, is an interesting one. And it's also not w- with Khaleesi injured. Like that's one of the sort of question marks, I think, in the squad. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think people... We're excited about Eskom when he first came on the scene a couple of years ago. He's been struggling to make the box squad consistently. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely going to play for his place on the plane. I mean, as as is Dwayne, to be honest, I think. like, and I think he's probably more likely in than out. But you know, there's, not even six months ago, a lot of people were saying Dwayne's career was kind of over. So, you know, if he, this is a good opportunity for him to kind of stamp his mark and be like, don't, don't forget about me judge yet. I'm not going to be going to the World Cup only as a Scott Brits, you know, team morale type man. Um, yeah, I think I think um, he's going to fulfil more of a uh, Francois Lowe kind of role than a Scott Brits or Bobby Skinstead type of role at the World Cup. That's my yeah. that's my take anyway. 
I, I think yeah. I saw that he's the third oldest captain behind one of those is Scott Brooks, who obviously captained one of the teams, uh, one of the sort of dirt tracker teams at the last World Cup. Also, Victor Matfield was an older captain than him at one point. So third oldest is still quite an achievement. Is that Springboks or is that all captains? Uh, Springbok captains, yeah. Oh, okay, because I was going to say, imagine we had, like, that says a lot about our selection policy. <laughs> you have to be the oldest player. Yeah, yeah. Um, Grant's not even at all. He's in like 35 or something. I think he's 37 now. What? I said, Christ I think he's 37 now. Okay. <laughs> That's yeah. insane. That, that is. Yeah, he's wow, just, he's, okay. he's, he's still going at such a strong level, you know, like even he's for Ulster. He was, yeah. So it's pretty impressive. Um, and okay, yeah, yeah. obviously they don't have a hesitation to pick him. But it'll, yeah, like you guys are saying, also seeing Jean Klein make his debut is really interesting. He's super experienced by now, but he also has so much experience of Northern Hemisphere conditions, but also like Ireland and that intimate Irish um, connection. So that's super helpful. I think without maybe it's sounding a bit harsh on him, but I'm sure that's one of the reasons for picking him. Like knowing that we've got a big match against Ireland coming up, um, yeah, it's helpful. Yeah, look, it definitely feels like a Russism picking uh, climb, like as much to remove a selection option for the Irish um, as it is to you know get a player of his look. I mean, it's not like we. It's interesting. I mean, I you know if I was picking an Irish-based lock that isn't Snayman, I probably would have gone for Jason Jenkins ahead of Klein personally. But mm. um, you know. I wonder if the fact that they could deny an Irish, the Irish a lock um, maybe didn't factor into Russi's thinking there. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm I'm surprised you are this calm about it, Ant. I mean, you've been against this uh, swapping rule for the longest time, and here we have a, a top-tier person coming back to our own beloved Springboks, also a top-tier team. I mean, how, how do you really feel about that? I mean, I've I've never hated the players for doing it. I just, but I find so it hate the team. always stupid. <laughs> Who do you I hate? <laughs> yeah, the team and, and the, the organizers that allow it effectively. Like, I suppose, no, at the same time, I don't hate the team. Like, I don't hate Tonga for being able to get a whole bunch of All Blacks back. Like, it's not, you know, Tonga, the national rugby team, is not going to shoot themselves in the foot just for a, you know, a point of pride. But the rules are stupid that allow Tonga to do that. Just like the rules are stupid that allow a South African that's been capped by Ireland to come back and play South Africa. Like, that's stupid. But given we're allowed to do it, yeah, of course we should. Just like the player should. And just like, you know, all the other teams are going to. You know, I fully support Richard Hardwick playing for Namibia, um, given he's allowed to. I think it's stupid that he's allowed to, though. And I'll yeah, very happily take that stand. Yeah, I, I mean, so these are... Uh potentially backup locks now, Ori and Klein. Um, obviously, Sneman's working his way back into fitness. He has played a few games at the end of the season um, since he and was back from well. injury, and he's played well. Um, but, I mean, they, they, I know, obviously, Ori, you guys are not fans. I'm not a big fan, but he, he does a job sometimes when he's not giving away penalties. But is it a little bit worrying that we're relying on a debutante and Marvin Ori as the backup locks in this, um, in this situation that we don't have better options? Like, like Anne said, whether it's someone like, uh, Jason Jenkins or one of Ron Nokia or someone like that. Is it, are we surprised that we're relying on these two? I don't think so. I mean, I think, like, again, given proximity to the World Cup, 
Ron Kronoki has got what, one cap, two caps. You're not going to throw him in at this stage. Especially, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you could say, oh, well, John Klein does, but I mean, John Klein's got, what, eight years of senior rugby under his belt. So, I'm not quite saying, yeah, but I mean, he's been playing top level rugby for a long time. Nokia's only what a second season of pro rugby. So, there's a quite, a, quite a big difference there. And I think, you know, Klein's still probably like sixth choice lock. Um, you know, if you could throw Mossad in the mix as well, um, you know, and some of Murat's injured. So, like, uh, does does Klein go to the World Cup at this point? No, I don't think so. Um, I think Ori does only because they're looking. I, I feel like they're taking Mostert as more of a a blindside option than as a primarily lock option. And I think if they were taking Mostert as a lock option, then I don't think Mostert's making the squad either. The plan. So it doesn't it doesn't stress me too much. I mean, it stresses me in in the context of this game because I feel like having two. Well, one unconvincing and one untested lock is always risky. I would have been much more comfortable if they'd played, started Snayman and played one of the other two off the bench. Um, but I understand, obviously, you know, Snayman's uh, not necessarily injury concerns, but maybe they're just trying to keep him a bit fresh. He'll probably play off the bench against New Zealand. So, um, you know, but I think given the fact that we've got two really good jumpers in the loose row with Dwayne and Peter Steph, and you've got a really solid front row, you know, I think there's, there's enough experience and knowledge and stuff all around on the forwards for it not to be too much of a concern. And if stuff goes best that you can just bring Snaymo off the bench. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the set one of the sets that I saw, sorry, Andrew, was that uh Klein Klein, I don't know how you say it. Klein and Ori um were the two top tacklers in the URC. So of locks. So the oh, wow, of, okay. of of all the locks they were the top two in terms of total tackles made. Sure. I would not have expected Ori to be on that list. No, that's, that's he's never struck me as never struck me as a workhorse. So no, cool. Good. That's good. Good. To, good to know. Um, yeah. So I mean, I'm, I'm. I think it's it's an interesting game because obviously, like Eddie's going to come out all guns blazing. First match in charge. He's been you know, running the presser for since the minute he got off the plane in Australia, talking up his team um, and his chances and how he's you know, going to try and win this World Cup against the odds. Um, and obviously getting a win in South Africa will be hugely motivating for that. Um, and he'll probably be playing the whole way. They're disrespecting us with the B team nonsense. Um, but yeah, as Phil said, we should be favourites. I think Australia have a 22% win record in South Africa in general. Um, we're at home. It's It's got to be our game. But Aussie, Aussies are definitely going to come firing at it. Um, but I think they've also got their own sets of injury issues and a lot of very raw combinations. I mean, if you think about that team they're going to put out, they don't have a tight head at this point. Um, Tubo's injured. Zane Nongo is potentially in line for a start. Um, but none of their front rows have played together. None of their locks have played together. Their centers have never played with their tens. Their outside backs have never played together. Their nine has never played with any of their tens apart from Cooper and Nick White. So it's, they're going to be playing a very, very unsettled team. So, you know, I think that's less of a stress for us. But I think something I'm quite interested to see is Tom Wright at fullback. Sure. Do you reckon uh, he's going to get the jersey? And do you reckon, how do you reckon he's going to handle the high bombs at altitude? I mean, the only thing that I can think about is his performance performance was it in the semi-final of super rugby where he had a complete mm. i don't know what happened just 
he kept making mistakes. I mean, he's, he had such a good season before that, but he's one of those guys who's very susceptible. He's, do we, is he an Andrew player in Super Rugby? <laughs> no, he's been in my team. He's dominating it for, for my fantasy team but, this year. <laughs> but just in terms of one of those classic Andrew players. Um, but yeah, he, like most of the season, he's managed to iron out those issues because he's, before the season, he's been like just so inconsistent, like really good on yeah. days and then really bad. And then we saw in that, High pressure knockout match. It sort of reverted to some of the, yeah, some of the poor form. So I would not be super happy as an Australian fan to see him starting at fullback. What do you think, Andrew? Um, I think he's a decent, uh, super rugby level player. I don't know if he's, uh, can ever light up the international stage. Um, we'll see. I mean, whether they go for him or someone like, He's a bit safer, like a Reese Hodge. I don't know. We'll just see. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was going to be my next question. Um, if not Tom Wright, um, who by all means it sounds like he's in the running for it, what are the other options? You've got Kellaway. I think Patai is injured. You've got... Oh, uh, I think we've lost Ed. Um, yeah, that, but it is, I think just the lack of options means that Tom Wright is, uh, you know, being considered as probably the most likely starter. It seems like it. Um, especially with Pattaya injured, like he probably would have been, uh, um, on the inside track maybe for a fullback position, although he's played a bit on the wings recently and, and in the centers. So, but Tom Wright as well, I mean, he's also played on the wings. So. Yeah, uh, Kellaway might, might have been my pick out of all of them, actually, although he's been a little bit raw, not played too much rugby since coming back from injury. But he, he seems a really exciting player to me, uh, more so than Tom Wright, at least. But I, I, I think out of the sort of um, predicted starters, what's it that Ant went through? That, that mm-hmm. lack of tight-head option is what would worry me most from an Australian perspective against a, a massive... Um, and. Although Ox has an injury worry, but then potentially Kitshop that's going to play. Um, mm-hmm. Playing someone like Zane Nongol, who is, I would say, hardly a super rugby level player. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but um, yeah, that's a worry. It's definitely a worry. I mean, if, if Ox doesn't make the weekend, then it gets no better for Australia having Stephen Kitshop come into the running instead. Like, that's pretty devastating for them. Um, that's not losing any quality whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, if I was Australia, I wouldn't be banking on anything there. Um, they, they're going to have to front up in the forwards and with some, I mean, the Springboks will target that because front row is somewhere where the Springboks have world quality options, almost down to like a third, third string of, of, of forwards. Um, I, yeah. I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call Joseph Dweber uh, a world class hooker. Um, I have a personal thing about Dweber, but, um, in Bongi and Marks, I mean, to the world's best hookers. Um, and then Kitsoff, Malherbe, Ox, Nyakane, Koch, uh, Wilco Lowe coming back to South Africa. Like there, there's so many options, so many great options in, in the front rankers. So we'll have to see. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I, I understand that Weber um dislike now, but um I think from a more neutral 
perspective, if you had to compare him against, I think Pariki is likely to start for Australia. There's not, maybe you'd choose Pariki over Dweber. I think that's just about fair, but I think it's very close. It's like a, a tight one. So even there, the back, the worst backup option that we have is not marginally different or inferior from their options. So it's a, it's definitely, um, a point where the Springboks need to drive home their advantage. Um, but at the same time, this is what we've been saying about this Australian team, even under a different coach, under Dave Rennie, for the last couple of years, is that on paper, their teams don't look that strong. But when they get it together, they play, you know, um, the, the sum of their parts is greater, or whatever that saying is. Um, you know, they, they, they play better than they, than what they look like on paper, you know. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, and they do have a couple of game breakers in their ranks. So that's why I'm saying I, I don't want to... I don't want to be too bullish about this weekend, given that we don't know what Australia is going to bring yet. And this is yeah. this pod's being recorded before we know the Australian team. I was looking online for even touring squads, and, and that information is pretty thin. So it remains to be seen what, what Australia are going to throw at us. I'm sure they're going to try and target a win in this first game under Eddie. Um, the Springboks not playing a full-strength team, full of potential, but all unproven, to me at least. Uh, so... It'll be a it'll be a big weekend. Um, it's important to start the rugby championship with a win if we do want to win this tournament, as the coaches have said that they are looking to do. So, your your predictions, Phil, for for the weekend? Yeah, um, I would go with not a comprehensive win, but uh, plus one try. So, I'd say a ten point win for the Springboks. Relatively comfortable, but nothing not nothing too big. Um, and just yeah, while we're making predictions on the New Zealand-Argentina game, I honestly don't know. Um, Argentina at home makes it interesting, but I always feel like Argentina's against New Zealand always play badly at home, and they do better in New Zealand. So I, I probably push for New Zealand in that one. How about you? Yeah, well, um, and we're just going through some predictions for the weekend, but um, I, I think you're pretty much spot on with your. Springboks prediction, I think a, a win by about 10 points, so nothing too, too uh, like out of this world. And I don't think it's going to be massively high scoring, although we have we have the back line. If, if Australia falls apart, like we have the back line to punish them 100%. Um, but I just don't see it going quite that way. I think it's going to be an arm wrestle for 50 minutes or so, and then the box will, will win with a little bit of a cushion. Um, so there'll be some... I won't have any fingernails by the end of... The first 60 minutes, I think. Um, but I think we should win that one, and we will win that one. Um, Argentina, New Zealand, uh, they've got a couple of key injuries, and Will Jordan's out again. Um, so they're also trying to find their feet. Uh, they they should beat Argentina, but I'm hoping for another spirited Argentina performance. It would be fantastic for the Springboks if Argentina can topple New Zealand in the first round. Um, and your predictions for the weekend? Yeah, I think... I mean, New Zealand obviously the favourites of Argentina. Um, would be great if, if Argentina could do the number, but you know, that's always more of a hope than a than a head selection. Um, South Africa again. I, th- I mean, as I said earlier, I think they are the favourites. I would love for it to be not a grind. I think Loftus dry winter pitch. Uh, you know, both teams will come out to play. Eddie Jones is you know wants to play the Australian way. He's talked about a power game, but he's going to try and make it a bit. Open and, and obviously first game in charge of a new coach. Like, um, who knows how much of his system will have better down. So there might be some gaps there. 
that being said, the same applies to us. So, I mean, I could see it being like a 45 or something stupid scoreline. Um, but I could also see it being, you know, like 25-20 just because it's very error-ridden. You know, I think if the, if the balls stick and go to hand, I think it's going to get really big. I think, you know, the tackle win on defense on the day on both teams. But I think given the first game of the season, it, it might be not that exciting. Hmm. Okay. But yeah. Um, um, I'm backing um, Kirtley Aronson out of the match performance with the double try. Wow. There's, there's cool. my I'd like that. That's, that's <laughs> a, bold, a bold prediction, but that's what I like to hear. Yeah, Not uh, Kayla <laughs> Moody on the other side. Or Billy from the back. Yeah. But Billy, exciting. With, Billy with two assists with his new Bulls outside back teammate. <laughs> Teammates, yeah. All three of Teammates. them, right? All, yeah. all three Bulls back line. That's true, actually. Well, uh, back three, right? I, I was surprised. Well, like that, you're going to have to change your allegiance, surely. Uh, they've still got Jake White. I told you it sort of cancels out. Um, <laughs> but but I was surprised. Like I didn't see at first that uh, Billy. So just before we started recording, it was officially announced that Billy is signing for the Bulls. But I didn't realize that he signed like a three-year deal. He's already pretty old. Um, oh, wow. So that's going to push. That's going to push him. I think he's 33 or 34 now. So that's going to push him past 35. Yeah, um, for a, especially for an outside back, it's not uh, that common to see someone go past, you know, much past like 32 or 33. So he's still going strong, but he is a maybe, more maybe cerebral player. Long hair and learn to goal kick. <laughs> sure. Well, they've also got you the spring like chicken. Percy mold. <laughs> yeah, the Percy mold. I got a, that spring chicken, Sergio Peterson, as well. Um, so it's going to have. Ken and Moody at like, how old, Ken, how old is Ken Moody? Like 20? And then, um, you know, Billy at 33. Quite a range. Yeah. So one of the interesting things just from this team announcement that we spoke about last year too was what's going to happen when Pollard, Willemse and Billy are all available. So that's sort of been taken out of the possibility by Pollard's injury. So we're probably expecting Willemse to start at 10 next week given the starting lineup this week? And then who would start a fullback? Do you think Billy would have two matches in a row? I mean, it's only really Willemson and Billy that are the options there. Yeah. Like we don't have yeah. Any, unless you do something crazy like play Kenan again and put Colby at fullback or something. Um, you're off. That's disappointing. We turned them over on full time and game over. So is it a win without the bonus point? Win without the bonus points, so now it needs, it's going to come down to like points difference and log points between the other pools to see who makes the. I, 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 That's I think bloody be, annoying. I think because of the draw between England and Ireland, if they both go through um, into the semis, and then it's the winner of the other two pools because they they oh. both they both won two and drew one. Oh shit! Okay, well then that's that. That now will go through. Okay, well, look. I mean, all things considered, we came back into it. And we had a couple of chances. Like we played played quite well in patches today, but that will be disappointing. Um, but anyway, we we're talking about Billy and your newfound love for the Bulls. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting to see in next year's URC how much of an impact it makes having a, a settled head at the back. I mean, I think to be honest, I think Johan Hosen has been pretty disappointing as someone that they brought back with a lot of potential to add to their team. He hasn't pushed on to challenge Springbok places. Maybe that wasn't as expected, but even in terms of making a difference at URC level. 
How on earth was that guy like two-time European Player of the Year? Like, what? <laughs> I haven't seen anything from him, like even in those couple of years when he was doing that and he played for us on the other I haven't seen a glimpse of that kind of... Yeah, it's a bizarre one. 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 He's got some sweet doing, deal. Doing the Dwayne and Scott Britson model, yeah. As 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 long as the closest Alton gets to a starting side is like the dietitian's office, then I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, it, it does seem that at least Money Lebuck is starting this weekend. I think Andrew's worst case scenario would have been an Alton start. He's not even on the bench, so. <laughs> but it's not so. going to be an Alton ten and Willie fifteen. I mean, Dwayne fifteen next week. Yeah. Otherwise, cool. otherwise oh, Alton would have been on the plane. Otherwise Alton would have been on the plane, I'm sure. So there we not, go. A, yes. not a chance. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure they brought him in just it was actually quite interesting though. Like that whole Alton conversation came out and then people were talking about Rob Dupre. The fact that uh, Jordan Hendricks uh, and Johnny Lombard never got a mention, I found I, I realized it was quite interesting in hindsight. Like I didn't even think about them. I mean Hendricks, we've been speaking a while, has been like, well, you know, he's a long-term option down the line. And obviously, he got supplanted at the, at the Lions. But, like, still, that, I was surprised that I'd never even heard that voice. Yeah, or, or potentially um, Sasha Feinberg and Gomazulu has also been in and around the box squad as a potential fire-half option. Um, you know, there, there are other options, but I guess Elton has, he does have, like, nearly 50 tests. Um, so, he yeah. has some experience behind him. I mean, I don't love the selection of Elton, but I completely understand it. I'm more just surprised that none of those names were mentioned um, as an alternative. It was kind of only Dupre's name that was being suggested as, as someone they could have formed. Mm. I think there may be injury. So, yeah, uh, Jordan Hendricks uh, hasn't played for the Lions since, I don't know, since like I don't, a long time because he's been injured. So Lombard has been playing. But um, I think... Gomazulu is also injured. He hasn't played for, I don't know if he just wasn't playing for Western Province in the Curry Cup, but he hasn't played in a while. Um, and I don't think Rob Dupree, I know he's been playing well for Sale, and Sale have had a good season, but I don't think in terms of the people who matter, he was really considered. And like you guys say, Elton has intimate knowledge of the systems and he's been part of Very a World Cup winning squad. Of more. <laughs> Can't get more into it than that. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if if you have to bring in an experienced fly half, uh, this might sound ridiculous, but I'd rather have Mornay stay and come out of retirement or Ron Pinar go into the box squad than Elton. Oh, I would have frothed to have seen Ron Pinar come back in a tent just for banter. <laughs> that sounds like a principal thing more than a. Think of your oh. think with your head, and that Elton has won a World Cup and has. I mean, t- to be fair, so he, Pinar. 
I mean, a different different systems, right? But uh, <laughs> I mean, Elton pretty much was carrying tackle bags at the last World Cup. He he played once or twice, but he wasn't part of the starting twenty threes and stuff. So I'm pretty sure that's his role again now. So I mean, yeah. it, it was it did come out that apparently he was one of the best uh, tackle bag holders in the sense <laughs> of his like. Squad analysis, I, yeah, tactic I analysis. Was I know really what you mean, good. but it sounded ridiculous. Um, <laughs> like his his ability to replicate opposition's flyoffs, gameplay yeah. on a training pitch was apparently really really good. So yeah. that's what I mean. Like apparently he was a really good training player. Sure. Um, so anyway, I, I said I don't love it, but you know it makes sense. And, and realistically, he's well, I mean, he's not not going to the World Cup, but I think it's, he's on the out rather than the in. Um, but yeah, look, if he starts for us next weekend as a blind against the Kiwis, then even Andrew will have to support his inclusion. <laughs> it's it's happened before. He's played well against that uh, that win in Wellington. He came off the bench after like half an hour and had a really good game. So one second, he, Andrew is just melting there. One good game, one good game. I think there were two that season. And, anyway, and what, what, how, how many points did he score for the Stormers when he was there? Like three or six or something. He was a fly off. I think it was 13 for the season. Oh, yeah. I, I, I could just feel Andrew's uh, happiness when I think it was DMAC went Guys, we topped the Elton. pool. No. We topped <laughs> the pool because we beat Georgia. That oh. feels wrong. That, that feels feel wrong. Let me see. That's, that's normally the way it works. Normally, if you tied on points, it first goes to head-to-head match play, and then for that's points difference for like these World yeah. Cup type tournaments. So apparently, yeah. South Africa Island, playing South Ireland. Africa. Yep, Ireland are playing Wild. South Africa. Hectic. Okay, so that's a little. I don't know how we fl- managed to pull that off. That's unreal. Um... Yep. Okay, it's confirmed. <laughs> okay. Confirmed. South Africa playing cool. Ireland. France playing England in the semi-finals. So. Dominant under twenties team. What are we complaining about? Our team's amazing. We're so good. We're the only Southern Hemisphere team to make it. <laughs> <laughs> We're great. 